Well, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 29. You can find Psalms fairly easily in your Bible, not all Bibles, but many, if you just open them up in the middle. You'll usually find Psalms, so it's not hard and difficult to find them. Psalm 29. We're going to spend some time this year looking at the Psalms and matching some Old Testament Scripture with the Psalms, other Old Testament Scripture, and at times some New Testament Scripture. The Hebrew word for Psalms is Tehillim. Tehillim, and it means hymns of praise. Sometimes the word used is the Psalter, P-S-A-L-T-E-R, the Psalter. And in Greek and Hebrew, the word psalter means harp. The psalms were poems that were composed over several hundred years by the people of Israel. And they were meant to be used in worship. So these poems often were prayed. These poems were sung. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the hymn tunes, the psalm tunes, and could sing what ancient Israel did when they gathered in the, in the temple to worship their God. These psalms, uh, as they were uh, given and as they were put together over several hundred years, there are 150 of them, and they were arranged into five sections. And a lot of scholars believe that those five sections mirror the five books of the law or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. One of the interesting things about the Psalms, and I want to put this on the screen for a moment, our core values of our church. We spent some time in the last uh, couple of years looking at some of our core values as a congregation. Those things that we say make Oakmont distinctive and uh, special. And we listed six. Prayer, worship, spiritual formation, missional focus, community, and innovation. And when you look at the Psalms, they fit beautifully into the core values of this congregation. Because the Psalms, first of all, were often prayed. And they were done so in worship, in corporate worship. Sometimes, as I mentioned, they were sung as a part of worship. They really had a missional focus because part of what the Psalms did, in addition to praise God, is the people used it for instruction. They used it to teach about the ways of God and about ourselves and others in the world. So they formed the people of Israel spiritually. There was a spiritual formation function. The Psalms also have a missional focus. Missional means I'm not always going to look at me. I'm going to go out and look at others and be intent on sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. And the Psalms were focused on extending the love and the kingdom of God beyond the nation of Israel to all the nations of the world. The Psalms were meant to build up a sense of community and personal relationship that we are there with each other and for each other in difficult times. And finally, innovation. You know, I think that's one of the things that characterizes Oakmont. We are a creative and innovative church family, and these Psalms are some of the most innovative and creative literature that you could ever find. So I think the Psalms really fit into who we are as a congregation here at Oakmont. Thank you for putting that on the screen. Now, what about this particular Psalm we're going to read this morning? Psalm 29. It's called an enthronement Psalm. 
an enthronement psalm. And there are a lot of scholars who believe that this psalm was either recited by the congregation in the temple or sung once a year to remind the people that God is king, that he is the creating, sustaining, and guiding God. So wouldn't it be something at the beginning of the new year if the nation of Israel read this psalm to re-enthrone God and remind them that amidst all of the other gods out there, you know, there's some of those Canaanite gods that Israel worshipped at times, but hey, this is the one and true God. So let's read the text, and I want you to notice as we get into verse 3, you're going to see the phrase, the voice of the Lord is seven times. Now, this is a poet, right? Poets do creative things. Why seven times? Because seven is the number of what? Perfection. See? The voice of the Lord is. Okay, let, let's, let's begin the text. Verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Now, now this may have been read and said or sung to the heavenly beings as well as the earthly beings. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Then we get into verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now, the psalmist is hearing the voice of the Lord in a thunderstorm. If you know anything about the geography of Israel, you know the Mediterranean seas on the west side, and here's this thunderstorm coming off the coast, and it's traveling east up towards the north, towards Lebanon. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters, probably talking about the Mediterranean Sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Syrian, or that's another word for Mount Hermon, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in His temple, see they're in the temple reaffirming that God is King. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever wondered what the voice of God might sound like? I mean, on that day when Jesus was baptized, the people heard the voice of God. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. 
You ever wonder what the voice of the Lord sounds like? You know, up to a time I was about 10, 11, 12 years of age, I was pretty certain that the voice of the Lord sounded just like my Uncle Sam Jackson. Because he had this deep, authoritative, decisive voice. His daddy, Dewey Jackson, was the first hollering champ down in Sampson County. You know, you've heard of Spivey's Corner? Well, Dewey Jackson in the late 1960s was the first hollering champ. And his son, my Uncle Sam, had a voice like his daddy. And when he spoke, if he was not God, I treated his voice as if it were the voice of God. And in fact, I officiated at his funeral about four or five years ago, and I said in that service that I was scared of Uncle Sam for a lot of years because I really thought he was God when he spoke. But what do you think the voice of God sounds like? If you could hear the voice of God in human, audible words, what would it sound like? Would it be male or female? Now, now I ask that question because the Scripture has allusions to God as a mother in Old and New Testament. So would the voice of God be male or female? Would the voice of God be high-pitched or low-pitched? Would the voice of God be a whisper? Or would the voice of God be a shout? Do you think God's voice would have a good southern drawl to it? Would he say, right, fight, might, sight, and height? Or would the voice of God be a good northern accent or a midwestern accent? Maybe the voice of God would be British or Australian. That's the way, might. What do you think? Or maybe the voice of God would be African, or the voice of God would be Middle Eastern. Wasn't Jesus born in the Middle East? What, what do you think the voice of God would sound like? Well, you know, here in the psalm, the psalmist imagines the voice of God to be like a powerful thunderstorm. And when you read the text, you know, we've already seen the first two verses are calling for universal praise of this God who sits above those Canaanite gods that Israel worshipped for a lot of years and gave as much credence and credibility as they did to Yahweh God. And so this enthronement psalm is calling them to remember that God is God. He's the king. And then in verses 3, 2, 9, we've got the voice of the Lord in that thunderstorm. And the psalmist describes this thunderous, powerful, and majestic voice of God. And this is what the, the voice does. Just the voice breaks cedar trees. Whew, that is a voice. It strikes with flashes of lightning, the text says. It shakes the desert. You ever heard the thunder come and it just feels like it's shaking your house or the building or the place where you're standing? It twists the oak trees of Mount Hermon. The voice of God, you, you pick this up in the scripture, strips the forest bare. Just strips them bare. That's the voice of the Lord. 
And finally, in verses 10 and 11, we now have the king enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. And as we recognize him as king, he gives two things. He gives strength to us in time of need. And he gives us peace. He gives us shalom. He gives us well-being. So, so the psalmist is celebrating this, this creating, ruling, and sustaining king of the universe. And whenever the natural storms come, or just life that you and I face, the psalmist is reminding us that the voice of the Lord is always the last voice standing. It's always the last voice speaking. It's always the last voice sounding. That's the voice of the Lord. Now, here we are in a new year. Wouldn't it be something if Israel read in the temple this psalm in the beginning of their year? We've read it near the beginning of our new year. And it's a good time for us to ask the question, as I'm sure ancient Israel did, is God the king of your life? We talk, talk a lot about making Jesus the Savior because he died on the cross and gave himself for our sin. But it's one thing to have Jesus as Savior. It's a whole different matter for you to decide he's going to be your Lord, your master, your king, your ruler, your guide, and the leader of your life. So it's a great time to ask the question, beginning of the new year, is God through his son Jesus, the king of your life? And here's another question. Is he the king, the leader, the guide of this church? Those are two good questions to, for us to ask. And if God is our king, if he is through his son Jesus, the enthroned ruler and leader and guide of our lives, isn't it critical that we train ourselves, therefore, to hear his voice? So that when he speaks, we can listen, we can hear it, we can obey it, and he can guide us, especially when those storms of life strike and come our way. Right now, we have about 60 people on Wednesday nights here at Oakmont that's taking, that, that are taking a course, a class that many of you have taken in the past called Experiencing God. In fact, we have most of our deacons out of that 60. Most of our deacons are in that number. And that course, in large measure, is teaching us how to hear and listen to and obey the voice of God when He speaks. Now, it's a 13-week study, an introductory week, and then the other 12 weeks, we have a memory verse that we're memorizing every week. So recently, we had an opportunity to memorize John 8, 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let me say that for you one more time. He who hears what God says belongs to God. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, Jesus is helping us to connect the dots here. He is saying that God cannot be your king. He can't be your ruler. He can't be your leader if you don't belong to him. 
And if you don't belong to him, there's a good chance you might not be hearing his voice when he speaks. But when we belong to him and allow God to speak to us, to let his voice lead us, then we know that when those storms of life strike, and they are going to strike, and you and I both understand experientially that they strike without notice, the storms of life. When they strike, and God is our king, and we have his voice leading and guiding and being with us, then we understand that there's nothing that we should fear. And I want to put this scripture back on the screen again of what we read earlier from Isaiah 43. When the voice of God speaks, we have nothing to fear. Look at, look at what Isaiah says, the prophet, that God is speaking through him. But now, this is what the Lord says. His voice is speaking. What does the Lord say? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Isn't that beautiful that we belong to God? We're His. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah should have thrown in the word, your King, here too. That'd been great. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, do not be afraid, for I am with you. You know, if, if, if we make a mistake in life, it is the mistake that we rely on our voice or voices and not God's voice. If we make a mistake in life, it is that we trust our ingenuity. We trust our education. We trust our experiences. We trust our financial capabilities. We trust our influence and our contacts and our connections. If we make a mistake, it is that we trust what we can accomplish by ourselves. If we make a mistake, it is that we trust our common sense, or sometimes lack thereof. But the fact is, when we remember who the king is, it changes everything. He's the one whose voice merely speaks and the thunderstorms of life cease. He's the one who gives us our strength. He's the one who's our source of peace. And when we start trusting all of these other things that we've placed around us that are really false gods and we forget he's the king, that's when the storms of life sweep over us and we're not delivered and we're not saved. John Buchanan, John Buchanan just retired as the editor of the Christian Century magazine. And several years ago, he retired as senior pastor at the 4th Presbyterian Church in Chicago. He tells the story of baptizing a two-year-old boy one Sunday morning in worship. Now, keep in mind, Presbyterians and other denominations do it a little differently than we do. In Presbyterian life, you baptize an infant or a young child, and those parents make promises to God to raise that child in the life 
of faith until that child can claim it for his or her own self. And then later on, once that child makes a profession of faith in Christ, the child is confirmed in the church. In Baptist life, we do it the opposite. We dedicate parents and children without applying the water. And later, when that child or that person makes a profession of faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we administer baptism by immersion. So it's really a matter of on which end do you give the water? You give it on the front end or you give it on the back end? Baptists say we, we give it on the back side. Well, John Buchanan, though, is doing baptism in the Presbyterian Church. He's got the two-year-old young man in his arms, and he's, he's doing the baptismal liturgy, and he gets to the point where he takes his thumb and he does the sign of the cross on the little boy's forehead in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And according to the Presbyterian liturgy, he then says to the child, to the young man, you are a child of God, sealed by the Spirit in your baptism, and you belong to Jesus Christ forever. And unexpectedly, the little boy looked up at John Buchanan and said, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. John Buchanan writes that it was an amusing moment in worship and that everyone smiled and many laughed, just as you have just done. But Buchanan writes that this little boy's response was a stunning theological affirmation, a recognition that everything had changed. Everything was different. That this little boy would never be the same again. Uh-oh. And indeed, that's the case for you and me. When we make the decision not only to make Jesus Savior of our life because he died on the cross and gave himself up for our sin and for our forgiveness, when we make the decision to accept him as Savior and as King, enthrone him as the ruler, the guide, the leader, the master, the Lord of our lives, we understand that nothing will ever be the same again. Everything is different. It means that we belong to Him. It means, as Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 43, that we are precious and we are honored in His sight. And it means that as we pass through the waters and the storms and the fires of life, He will be with us. But folks, i got to tell you, it all begins and it all ends in hearing, listening to, and obeying the voice. Christ our Lord invites to his table this morning all who love him, all who have earnestly repented of their sins and seek to live in peace with God and with each other. So therefore, as we prepare ourselves to come before our Lord's table and to receive the bounty that is provided for us here, I want to invite you to confess privately in silent prayer the sin of your life 
for which this table symbolizes Jesus came and died and offers forgiveness because of it. So confess the sin of your life. Confess those areas where you have failed. Name those spots where you were weak. Understand that God understands. And know that you are honored and you are precious in his sight. Let's pray in silence together. God, this morning we claim and name the promise of 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning as we come to your table, we thank you for the gift of your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Knowing that you are a God of second chances, knowing that you are a God who loves us so much that you gave your only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it is with gratitude and it is with joy this day that we give you thanks for the gift of this, your salvation. And in just a moment, Lord, we will share the bread together and we will be reminded that as we do, that it is your body that is represented. It is the offering of yourself through your son on that cross for us. So hear our prayer of gratitude as we receive your forgiveness and pardon. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you. I want to ask you to stand and to offer those words of peace and greeting to those who are around you this morning. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. Deacons, if you will please come. As our deacons are coming this morning, we invite you to receive the bread and the cup as they distribute it to you. And this is our Lord's table. It's not Oakmont's table. It's not my table as pastor. It's the Lord's table. And so we invite you to receive these gifts of the bread and the cup if you are a follower after Christ. 